bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop with my special guest, Joey Candillo. Hi, good to be here. Glad to have you, brother. Thanks. Uh, One Broken Life is a production of Freeway Ministries, and uh, we love to explore the broken lives of individuals um, that uh, have come from all kinds of different backgrounds. But many times it's uh, the bigger the mess, the bigger the message. And we peel back the layers and look into the, the intimate details of people's lives. And and so I'm, I'm privileged and honored today to have Pastor Joey from uh, Grace Church in Independence uh, Missouri mm -hmm. with us today and um, and so I'm, I'm glad you tuned in to join us uh, we have like theme verses for our podcast Joey okay um, one of the theme verses is uh, Psalms 51 17 and basically uh, the Lord is speaking about uh, sacrifices and, and worship and he says uh, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit that God will not despise or reject a broken heart and uh, that's kind of our idea is that one broken life at a time, right? And so we're going to explore your brokenness, like where you were before you you surrendered your life to Jesus, and uh, now you're a pastor, uh, you, your second church, mm -hmm. and um, growing recovery ministry. We're going to talk about that, but that isn't who you used to be, right? Um, and so we're going to kind of um, just people met you today, and they come in your church on a Sunday morning. They see you and hear you preach. They wouldn't realize uh, what you've been through, and so we're, we're going to get an intimate detail of, of your life um, in your past. And then uh, Philippians one twelve, Paul says, "Brethren, the th I want you to know the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel." So what Paul is saying is, uh, he says that the things that have, the pronoun things that have happened to me, all the things in the past. The hardships and the, and the and all the tragedies and all the pain painful things in his life have turned out to make the gospel go further and and I believe that is your story that's my story mm -hmm. and so could you just give us a just a few minutes here uh, what was your life like growing up well we didn't we didn't go to church growing up I wasn't raised in church I mean my mom and dad were they grew up Catholic and but they never really went to church. And so my mom would tell me about God a little bit, but we never, like I said, never went to church. We weren't reading the Bible together. And uh, my dad was an alcoholic. And um, my, I got this whole story about that defined my life. Everybody's got child trauma. You know, some, some people are worse than others. But when my brother died, 
when I was four years old, um, we were living in California and that really messed me up, uh, for the rest of my life. And, uh, I didn't know how to process that, that, uh, the, the thing about that was, is it was my fault. I caught this car on fire and my brother died. Well, after that happened, not only was I jacked up, my dad became a real bad alcoholic and, um, verbally abusive, physically abusive would come home and just take his problems out on me. And, um, and so it was, you know, my, my home life was no, wasn't fun to be around. Um, so I was just running the streets at an early age. And, um, you know, when you're running the streets, you start hanging out with the wrong crowd. You start getting into trouble and going to jail. Uh, I went to jail four times before I was in the sixth grade and before I was in middle school. And so, um, that was just kind of the, the pattern that my life was set on. And, uh, and nobody was surprised, you know, because everyone in my family went to jail, everybody was on drugs. And so that was, um, when I was growing up in Independence, Missouri, in the, in the late eighties, early nineties, independence was known. There were two things that, uh, our claim to fame we had, we were known for this place where Harry Truman was from, but also we were the meth capital of the world. So, um, we used to always joke about that. There were headlines in the newspaper, national news about being the meth capital of the world. So everybody was on it and, you know, it just, it just jacks up families. It messes people's lives up. So, but that's kind of, I, I was raised in that. And, uh, and so I didn't, you know, I, no, I didn't have anybody teaching me right from wrong. I didn't have my, my dad wasn't taking me fishing. He wasn't taking me to church and going, Joey, this is how you be a man. This is, you know, open doors for women and, and uh, treat people with respect. I mean, I just didn't have any of that stuff. I was, it was, uh, you know, conniving. What, what I watched my dad steal. I watched my dad, you know, just drinking all the time and doing cr- criminal things. And so that was that was what I saw. That's what that's what I did with my life. Is like I just trying to scheme the system my whole life. I was trying to just see what I could get out of things. And if I could mess you over, if I could steal from you, that's that's what I did. So, yeah. So, uh, when did your drug use start? I smoked my first joint when I was seven years old. Um, I was over at my aunt's house, and uh, this is, uh, I put I put this in my book, and it was kind of controversial. She was mad at me for putting it in there, but I was over there, and um, she, she had some weed growing in, uh, in, in the closet. I was a little kid, seven years old, and I opened up this closet door. I was like, wait, what, what is this? And she took some out. She rolled a joint for me. And I remember sitting there smoking it, watching Scooby-Doo. I was like, this is, I guess this is what you're supposed to do. And, uh, it was, it was wild. And then my dad, um, you know, he, he would be like, go get me another beer, nine years old, eight years old. And he'd leave a little bit in the bottom of it. And I, he'd say, here, you can drink the rest of that. And so I would, on my way to get him another beer, I would be drinking it. And, um, you know, at an er- you know, 12 years old, I started smoking pot a lot and I never, I never really liked pot. Pot like made me depressed and I always made me paranoid. You know, I'd go to a party and smoke and everybody looking at me and I just didn't like the effects of it. Um, so but just er- early age, you know, just access to it. Um, and so that kind of, uh, set me in motion for the kind of life that I was going to live. And so, yeah, I was saying where I'm from, either you're born in it or sworn in it. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was born in it. You was born in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I don't know if we coined it, but um, the phrase generational addiction, generational crime, and generational poverty, mm-hmm. which basically means everybody you ever known in your family, in your life, growing up, and has been poor, involved in crime, and 
either a drug addict or a drug dealer or both, you know, mm-hmm. and that was me. And so it sounds like the same thing for you is a cultural thing. It's normal, right? Yep. It's not abnormal to walk in the house and everything smell like weed. You know, it's, it's a normal s- smell. It's not like something that you're caught off surprise. You know, it's just what it is. And yeah. uh, seeing dope, seeing the baggies everywhere, you know, um, seeing violence and all that stuff. And so how long have you been sober? Uh, in February, February 9th, it'll be 26 years. Awesome. Um, the, uh, the last time I did any drugs, of course, I, I caught a case. I sold an eight ball of cocaine to an undercover cop. Um, apparently, that's they frown on that in Missouri. Uh, and I was already on probation. So they gave me a five-year sentence. And um, it was this whole ordeal that my lawyers told me he was going to get me off on probation. And then when we went to court, they were like, well, he's already on on probation and so he was you didn't tell me that so you're gonna have to do 120 days and so now i'm freaking out because i've been to independence jail lots of times county jail but i've never been to prison so that was kind of a a wake-up call for me and at the time i had a daughter um who was almost a year old and i was really i was one of those people that I, i i was just living hard getting drunk every day doing hard drugs and i and I was tired of it. I was 22 years old. I was just like, I'm, I'm sick of this. I felt like I've lived a whole life, but I didn't know how to quit. Like I would, I would just try to pull myself up by my bootstraps and just that would last a few days. And my friends would come over. I get drunk again. So um, the night before, so they told me, they said, we're going to let you celebrate the holidays with your family. And this is like 1997, um, February 1997. They said, you got to turn yourself in and serve this 120 days. And so that night I'm just chilling at home and my two best friends, Tommy and Jason, they came and knocked, knocked on the door. They were like, Hey, let's go out. And I'm like, nah, man, it's, I got to go to jail tomorrow. I said, I'm just chilling. They go, no, let's go. So we went out, we went to the casino and, um, we got real drunk. They, they had meth and we, I showed up the next morning at the County jail to turn myself in. And there was a girl I went to high school with at the reception desk. And she goes, Hey, Joey. And I told her the deal and she goes, are you high? Are you drunk? I was like, I'm going to jail. What do you care? You know, but it was just weird that I would show up that way. I bombed out of my mind. And, uh, but that was the last night that I ever did anything. Um, and so went to jail, went, spent a month in Fulton and then three months in Boomville, uh, did the 120 days and it changed my life. You know, that's where I went to, um, you know, I remember being in there the first, the first day of jail at Fulton it's just very degrading and humiliating. They strip you down, they throw life soap on you, and they they run you through like cattle, you know. And I'm sitting there going, man, what a piece of crap, man. This, this is what my life has come to. But, you know, kind of back to what you were talking about, it that was a normal thing for me in my life, but it didn't make it okay. And it, it, was, a real, it was a real hard pill for me to swallow that, even though I, I came about it honestly. My dad was an alcoholic and a drug addict, and I became one. I couldn't blame him any longer. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't, I couldn't blame the fact that my brother died and I had all these problems. At some point, I had to say, you know what? I put myself here and my own choices. Yes, I did. I have a rough life growing up. Sure, I did, but a lot of people do, you know. And it wasn't until I figured out that it, the personal responsibility, until I took responsibility for my own life, that things begin to change. And I think God was doing that. I think God was waiting for me to realize that before he could really get a hold of my life. Cause as long as I had somebody to blame and I see that today, man, as long as you got somebody to blame for your problems, you're never going to, you're never going to get better. Cause you're never going to take responsibility. 
and I can find anybody to blame my problems on. But, um, you know, I like to, I think it was Spurgeon that said, if I could kick the person most responsible for my problems, I wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. <laughs> and that's the way it is. Uh, that might've been D.L. Moody. I can't remember. But, um, so anyways, I, I went, you know, went to a chapel service when I was in there and, uh, um, God was calling me and I, I gave my life to Christ that day and I left that chapel service changed. You know, I was a different person when I walked out of there, God had forgiven me and, uh, I was ready to start this new life, um, a life apart from drugs and alcohol, but I didn't know, I didn't know how to do that. I honestly didn't. And, uh, if the day I got out of jail, I went to and found a church, a Baptist church that I knew of in town. And that became my family, man, that, uh, I, I didn't hang out with any of my old friends. I had to get a whole new set of friends. I found out really quick church folks are kind of weird. You know, they're that is a different crowd than what I was used to. They're very buttoned up, very church. People are very weird. Yeah. Very weird. And, uh, but you know what, you know what I liked about them? I was like, I just noticed when I hang out with these people, I don't, I don't go to jail. You know, I don't wake up the next morning with a hangover and wonder what I did the night before. So it was, it, it was cool. I enjoyed it. I was like, okay, uh, I'm a little bit of adjustment getting used to them, but, I, but I like the consequences. You know, and the, the, I tell the story, but when I first started going to church, I wore a turtleneck, man. I had one uh, thrift store donated turtleneck, yeah. and I wore it, and it was 100 degrees. I'm wearing a turtleneck. They're all looking at me like I'm crazy, you know, and, and I look at them and say, I like turtlenecks, you know, but, yeah. but I didn't like turtlenecks. Yeah. I, was, I was embarrassed, and, uh, and I thought, man, these people are leave it to beaver, you know, and uh, when they find out how messed up I am, they're never going to accept me, and uh, they don't know who I am. And I found out they're messed up too. Absolutely. And, uh, and so some people just clean up better. Some people put on a facade. And the great, yeah. the great theologian Joey Ramone said, uh, "We're all messed up in our own special way." Absolutely. And so uh, Jesus, I'm reminded what he said when they went to bring his mom and his family to him. And they're pressing through the crowd, you know, to get to him. And his disciples say, hey, your family's here. Your mom's here and your, your brothers are here. And Jesus said, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my, who's my fi- family? And he looked around at all the people there and he said, those who hear the word of God and do it, that's my family. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard reality for some, for some and me too, you know. Um, but the church is all I got. I mean, I've got some relatives out. I love them very much. Uh, but we're different. And, uh, you know, I'm not ashamed of that. Uh, it is what it is, but uh, I'm so thankful for the local church, brother. And and we're getting a little ahead, but that's okay. Um, so 29 years, 26, 26. Genu- uh, February will be 26 years. So 97 was 26 years ago. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Uh, so what? As we talked about it, just kind of give the audience an idea of what brought you to your place of brokenness, Joey. Like, uh, what was the what was the, the 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 final straw to where you because I we I teach rock bottom mm-hmm. and uh, something that I tell people is rock bottom is in a place it's a state of mind. Yeah, a lot of times people will say, you know, I don't know what it's going to take for my son to hit rock bottom because he can't get any lower than he already is. He's he's lost his family and he's he got hit by a car and almost died and he did this and that. So what else could happen? But it's not the tragedies, so to speak, the severity, mm-hmm. it's that I've had enough. Mm-hmm. And it could be, you know, he could, he could, he could, he could, his lights could be shut off and it could break him when losing his family didn't, you know, 
it's that state of mind. So what brought you to your place of brokenness? I mean, in, in, in people's lives, like you're talking about uh, hitting rock bottom, it can always get worse. And probably the worst thing would be go six feet under. You know, we've seen that happen before, too. Um, you know, for me, uh, I, I, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but I, God drew me. Like, that was my, like, I just believed that. Like, I, I was laying in bed. Um, well, so, like, when I, from, when I first got to prison um, and I went through that degrading day of being processed through like cattle, I laid What's on my bed. What's that look like? There's somebody Man, listening. Yeah, so they don't know. So first of all, I'm just scared because I'm I'm a white boy from the suburbs, and uh, and I you know I just I didn't know what it was skinny gonna be like. white I, boy. Yeah, skinny, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of preppy looking, and uh, you know I, I I was just imagining the worst. That that's what I had in my mind, and uh, so when when I got through when they processed through and they gave I was in Fulton they put us in the gym and there was like sixty bunk beds lined up, so there's just tons of guys in there. And uh, when I got in, the, when I got to my bunk, the only thing I could do was lay on my bunk and face down because I was hiding the, the tears. And I just laid there and cried all the rest of the time, the rest of the night. And I felt like I was like, oh, crap, man, I can't let people see this. And I, and I looked over and the bunk next to me was this big old black dude doing the same thing, crying. <laughs> it was his first day, too. And I was like, that's what happens, man. That Everybody's Did first day. Did you give day. him a fist bump? We, we just looked at each other, and he was just like, he knew. But uh, but it, reassured, it, it it helped me because I was just like, uh, I, I felt like I was weird and different. But I, I noticed everybody did that. And for me, it was just reality set in that this is my life. And I, I tell people this, like, so, so my dad around that same time got cirrhosis of the liver and ended up dying from that but but he got saved right before that and 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 i don't think that my dad would have ever given his life to jesus if he had that was his rock bottom like i think that god allows us to do those things i tell people going to prison for me was the best thing that ever happened to me i would probably i'd either be dead or still in prison or out there don't selling i don't think i'd still be going because i was going hard but so going to prison was a blessing for me. A lot of people look at it and go, they're mad because why would God send me to prison? But maybe it's his only way of getting your attention. For me, that was the case because now he had my undivided attention. I was scared. And I, I told God that that same day, the very first day, I said, God, if you get me out of this, I'll go be a missionary in Africa. I didn't even know what that meant, you know. But and I just felt, you know, there was nothing like because I wasn't serious. I, I wasn't sincere. But the day I went, uh, it, so we were in Boonville and it was regimented, man. We, I was in 28 house and we had to go to drug classes all day. You got up at five o'clock, you made your bed, you went to breakfast and you didn't, you weren't allowed to sit on your bunk until nine o'clock at night, just going to drug classes and stuff every day. They brought in a drill sergeant and physical training. We did all that stuff. But Sunday was the only day we got to sleep in. So I was sleeping. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I, I heard some music going on in the basement. It was kind of like a dormitory. It was like three levels in this building. They were having a church service down there. And something woke me up. Something drew me. I know it was the Holy Spirit, but I, I just felt compelled. I got to get up, got to get dressed. There were two dudes in my room. I was like, hey, let's go to this church service. So they're like, all right. They, they walked with me downstairs. And by the time we got down there, I walked into this room and when I walked in the door, they were, uh, the pastor was up, uh, the chaplain was up preaching at that time and something just hit me and I just started bawling. 
Like, I, I'd never experienced that before. I didn't know what it was. The two guys with me were like, what is wrong with you? I was like, I don't know. And I was just bawling. And then we sat on the back row, and I listened to this this guy talk about forgiveness. And he said, no matter what you've done in your life, God would forgive you. And I, and I sat back there going, man, would God forgive me? And so I was just replaying. I, you know, I don't need to um, – I wrote a book about a lot of this stuff, and I don't – don't, you know, I'm not trying to glorify any of the crazy stuff I just did. I just do – tell people that for context, I was a horrible person, man. I should be in hell right You know, now. And God had mercy on me. And I sat back there playing out these some of the worst things that I've done to people. And I was like, would God forgive me of that? And I felt God's Holy Spirit speak to me about everyone. Yeah, I'll forget. I'd, Jesus died on the cross for that. And this dude gave an invitation at the front at the end of that. And I was the first one, man, I sprinted up there. I was like, if God is willing to take my life after all I've done, to hurt all these people if he's if he's still willing to take my life i'm willing to give it to him and and i didn't know what he could do with my life but he he took it and put me back together i had a bunch of broken pieces and from that moment man i had tears in my eyes and i walked up there and i prayed to receive christ i wiped the tears out and i had a smile on my face i just i was overcome with joy i don't know that everybody has i don't think everybody has an emotional experience w- when they get saved but in that moment I felt like God just reached down and picked up a ton of bricks. All this weight I was carrying just in a, in a moment, as soon as I prayed to receive Christ, he, he lifted that off. And I was, I was a new person, man. Walked around with a smile. I was in there for another month after that, walked around with a smile on my face. Um, everybody thought I was crazy, but I, they gave me a little pocket New Testament and they, they opened it up. This guy, he opened it up and highlighted second Corinthians five seventeen. Don't worry about that. Just keep and going. he said, uh, some just fell. So yeah. if, you, if you didn't see it, it off the wall but go ahead and it said uh he highlighted this first time i'd ever read that and he goes he goes if any man be in christ he's a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new and i was like and he showed me that he goes see that everything you've ever done it's been washed in the blood you're forgiven you're a brand new person and i was like that's that's good news for me and i i believed it i was one of those crazy people i believed it and so when i got out started seeing old people you know uh that I had done wrong. I, I'd had, a, I still, you know, it's crazy. 26 years later, um, I, uh, I, I recently invited someone to church that I went to school with and she was like, well, you, you did me, this was like six months ago. She goes, she goes, you did me wrong back in high school and I still haven't forgiven you. She goes, so you're going to have to apologize before I come to church. I was like, I, Hey, I was a dirt bag back then. So I'm sure I don't even remember what I did to you, but I'm sure it was bad. And, uh, and then, and then one of my other friends, they said they ran into someone just like a, a couple months ago. And this girl was like, yeah, Joey messed me over back in school and oh, just some crazy stuff. And I was like, I so I'm here. I'm 26 years later, still having to apologize for stuff I did. Um, but they have every right to hold it against me. You know, I was a bad person back then, but, but, uh, but the cool thing is too, that I get to share with them. That's not the person I am anymore. And it's by the grace of God. It's not me. I, 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 I'm not a better person because I work harder at it, man. I'm redeemed. I'm a God. God had grace on my life and any good thing about me is the grace of God in my life. So how old were you when you got saved again? 22, 22. about to turn 23. So when you got out of prison, you were 23. Mm-hmm. No, I, I was 22, but I turned a couple weeks later. I turned 23. Yeah. So, uh, did you look up to your father as a role model when you was growing up who'd you look up to oh yeah my dad was my i now remember when it changed um we grew up um we always kind of lived on a, a ranch and uh we always had horses so i was that was, i was just all about that my dad was my idol man i just 
looked up to him so much. But then then he started beating me and throwing things at me. Um, one time he he just really had a real bad anger problem. One time he threw a hammer and hit me and um, and so uh, but one time when I was about eleven or twelve years old, we were out in the yard working, and my dad goes, um, you know, my, my brother that died was his name was Jeff. And my dad looked at me one time and he said, he was just angry. I just something, some silly thing that I did. And he was just like, man, why couldn't you have died instead of your brother? And when he said that, man, I just went, Oh my gosh. Like, I hate this dude. Like I want this guy dead. And every ounce, every, everything that I had as far as respect for him turned into hate. And he would say, he said it three or four other times on different occasions. It's like, you know, and, and I've had to, I've had to get counseling about that because, you know, that was part of the trauma, the, part of the, the brokenness that I had. Like, um, there's a great, I always talk about it, but there's the one book that changed my life was Wild at Heart by Jim, El, uh, John Eldridge. And that book talks about trauma that we had. Like he, he talks about how most people, every, every man needs to read that book. It'll change your life. And every woman should read it because it'll help you understand men, how we're different. Well, men and women, women are just wired different. And, and he's, he just talks about, I remember years ago when I first heard this, he goes, he goes, most people have a wound in their soul. And usually it was put there by your father, by either what he said or what he didn't say. And for me, it was what he said when he told me that he wished that I was dead instead of my brother. Um, that just crushed me. And it created a wound that, um, I'll be honest with you, I, I you know, I, I've got counseling for it and I've worked through it. I've tried to process through that. But those types of things never go away, you know. And people will say, well, how could you say something that, to your kid? Well, that's that's an interesting thing. And it probably goes along with what this podcast is. My, my dad was a very broken person. I mean, he's, he's a very manly person. He's not going to sit down on a couch and talk about his feelings with anybody. And so whenever you have stuff like his dad died, like, like his son died and then his dad died a couple years later and he had, he had other stuff going on. Who's he going to talk to about that? You know, he's not involved in the church. He wasn't a Christian. And so his way of dealing with things was to take it out on us. He would, he would binge drink. He would go get drunk with his friends and then show up four days later wasted and mad at us and throwing things and beat up my mom and all this stuff. And no, obviously that's not right, but he was broken. Like there, there's times I see people I'm driving down the road and I'll maybe accidentally cut somebody off or something and they'll just have road rage. And I, and, and what I think is, man, that person's not mad at me. They don't even know me. I'll, I'll have people sometimes that I'll, that I'll meet and, and just go off on me for no reason. And, and now it used to, you, you know, the way I was raised, I was like, what, you know, we take it outside, you know, that's how I feel. But now I know, man, your problem's not with me. And so I go, man, what is this person going through that they would treat me that way? And we all go through stuff and we got to make sure that we can, this is where the Bible helps and it helps to be in men's groups and it helps to be able to have accountability partners and somebody that we can share what's going on with. Because otherwise, if you don't process, everybody's going through junk. Everybody's got trauma. Everybody's got stuff that happened as a kid that lingers into your adulthood. And if we don't figure out ways to deal with these in a healthy way, it comes out in unhealthy ways and you yell at your kids or you, you know, you, you get mad at your boss at work and he's riding you all day and you go home and kick the dog, right? The dog didn't do anything to you, but that's the way you took it out. So, 
So we're broken. Everybody's broken. And just back to what we were talking about earlier, I appreciate church people who are transparent. And um, I found that people will, uh, people resonate with my um, insecurities and when I'm real with them about my um, brokenness. Um, that'll help people much more than me bragging about all the accomplishments that, I mean, somebody might look at, oh, you've done this, you've done this. Oh, that's, that's nice. But they're not going to connect with me on that. I'm not going to be able to help them with their life. But when I tell them, Hey man, I'm a pastor and I still struggle with stuff and I've got a past too. Well, that helps them. It, it helps them realize, man, even religious people, even church people have stuff that because everybody's going through something. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's fighting a battle today. And so you just need to realize that. So your dad was your hero and uh, just trying to focus on, the, you know, the, the past before we get into all the great things God's doing in your life. And uh, you were the bad boy, BBC, yeah. uh, you know, and then and then we came along and now there's you kind of paved the way for the rest of us. But, uh, you know, when you grew up, who did you want to be? Ah, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I, I was into like uh, rap music, NWA and all those. Things. I mean, just all of the wrong. Uh, my, my, so much about my life's perspective has changed since I became a Christian. Um, my today, my heroes are missionaries who go, who, who, who go, they raise their hand and they go, you know what? I'll go anywhere you tell me to, God, and I'll do anything you ask me to do. And God's like, bet, I want you to go to Mongolia. I just had Chris Ballinger at my church, and he took his family to, to Mongolia. I mean, middle of nowhere. I mean, it, that, that's a sacrifice. I'm like, that guy, Patrick Mahomes, I love the Chiefs, you know, I love watching. Patrick Mahomes ain't a hero, you know. He might play with pain, but, but he's not sacrificing his life. Uh, first responders, police, military, but missionaries, people, that's who I want my kids to look up to. I, I want, you know, Tim Tebow, somebody, if you're going to look to an athlete, look to somebody like that. Um, what about your childhood though? Do you remember who you looked up to? I don't really want to be like now probably a drug dealer. I don't know. <laughs> Tell us about your darkest, your darkest time. Uh, you know, if you can to where, um, you know, for me, I'll just give you an example. Yeah. Uh, when I think about my darkest time, uh, I think of um, living on the street. Uh, I, I was a, I was a drug dealer, and uh, and I talked to. I, I said I never used cocaine. I never use hard drugs. You know, I never smoke mm -hmm. uh, anything. I didn't smoke cigarettes, but I was like anti cigarettes. My mom died of lung cancer. Anti any of that. Um, and I would treat people who smoked crack and did cocaine as less than human. Yeah. I wouldn't call them by their name. I call them crackhead. So if you smoke crack and I sold you dope, I said, come here, crackhead. I, and I was horrible. Mm -hmm. I became one. And, uh, and I remember I stunk so bad that you could. So I would go to a, there was a dope house I'd go to in the hood. And, uh, I mean, these people were creatures of night of the night. They were the bottom scraping the bottom of the barrel. I mean, a nasty, filthy place uh, where you didn't even want to sit on the furniture, you know. Um, and I would go there, and they would, they would make me go to the bathroom. And I had dope to get them high with. 
and they would make me uh, put my clothes in a trash bag and my shoes and socks, and they would give me a change of clothes, and I'd have to take a bath before I could even start partying there. That's mm. how bad I stunk. Mm. Now you know how dark it was, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I reflect on that. And so now today, I'm really clean. Like I have a, I have a, I have a phobia that I always want to smell good, and and I always want to be clean. I want to make sure I I take a good shower every day, and I wash my face with 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 uh, facial soap and this, you know, and, uh, and 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 I have these things I do because of the past, right? Because I remember that darkness. Mm -hmm. And so, if your darkest time, Joe, if you could just share that with our people. Because uh, we're talking about what your broken life, and, and one broken life at a time. So we're talking about that, you know, the old man before you really came into this this new life in Christ. So what would yeah. you tell them? Uh, uh, probably similar. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things where a, a lot of people find themselves uh, they 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 look in the mirror and they don't recognize the person that they are. And, and for me, it was, I, I used to always say I would never be like my dad. Like, I'm never going to be like him. And then I turned out just like him. And so sort of a snapshot into time would be right before, uh, maybe you know, around the time my daughter was born. I had this apartment. All my friends were living there. You know, it was a drug house. They were coming and going. And uh, I got on meth. And uh, the, the first time I ever... Uh, it's one of those things, like I drank all the time and I think I was maybe 20 or 21 when I first tried meth and, and I, I, I used to look down, like all my friends were doing it, but I noticed that a lot of people who were doing meth, they, we were smoking it out of light bulbs. They were, and their teeth would turn black. And I'm like, I like my teeth. Like I was one of those things. I was just like, uh, sensitive about that. So I was like, I drink and I'll do all kinds of other drugs, cocaine or whatever, but I wasn't going to do meth. Well, one day we we're at a bar, we we're at a club and I got super drunk. And, and so my rational thinking skills were out the window. So my friends were like, let's go out and do a bump. So I was like, all right, I'll try this. I did it one time. I was hooked, like hooked for the next probably year I was doing it every single day. And I became the person that I despised. I became a person that I was like, I didn't recognize who I was in the mirror. So the snapshot is I had this apartment and we had drugs everywhere and people were coming and going. And, um, we were, I remember cooking, um, crack cocaine in the kitchen and we had, um, I would stay up all night looking out the window and these trees would turn into humans and then back to trees. I was just hallucinating and we'd pull the couch in front of the door because I was sure the cops were going to break in any minute. I ran into somebody like, yeah, you're under investigation. The cops are coming to your... So I was like, they're going to be here any minute. I'm just paranoid all the time. And my mom came over one day. She walked in and she was like, what is going on here? And I had two guns on the couch. And she just looked... She never said anything. But it was like just a moment where I was just like so ashamed. I, she looked down and I looked over at the gun and she looked at me and we didn't say anything, but I just like felt like a piece of crap. And I was like, gosh, man. And I wanted to get, I wanted to change, but I didn't know how. Even the birth of my daughter wasn't enough to change me. Um, I just didn't have the willpower. And, I, and that was probably the dark, darkest moment of my life, just knowing that I was uh, in this hole and it was getting darker and darker and I was getting worse and worse. And I didn't know how to get out. I didn't know that there was any help for me. And that's why it was so depressing. I got really, really depressed about life. 
Um, if I wasn't such a coward, I probably would have took my own life. Me too. I, honestly. I remember police pulling me over walking down the street, skin and bones, man. And uh, he said, come here. He said, he said, I'm going to find you in a ditch dead one day if you don't get help. I mean, yeah. you know, why did he tell me that? You know what I mean? I mean, there's, so uh, so we're going to pick this back up in part two, Joey. Talk about your point of surrender and, and how, uh, you know, how God used, used that, that all that big old mess, you know, all the things that happened in your life to, to pl- bring you to that place of surrender so he could renew you and redeem you and, and save you and change you. And now today, you know, you're, you're 20-something years sober and living for the Lord in ministry, preaching the gospel. You have a recovery ministry. We'll talk a little bit about your recovery ministry and what you're doing up in the Kansas City area. And so uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast today, uh, would you do me a favor? Would you subscribe? Would you share with your friends? Um, and if you want to support what we're doing here, you can uh, you can go to freeway f r e w a y dash ministries dot com and you can become a monthly supporter or a one time supporter because all this is done through the ministry of Freeway Ministries and and uh, we would be very grateful for that. Um, so we're going to have part two where uh, Joey's going to talk about um, what God has done through that brokenness. And so thank you, Joey. Appreciate appreciate you being here. We'll see you guys next time.